0: I don't know how it was with you, but when I grew up and um, my mom would say something like, well, did you finish your homework? And I would say, well, I I almost finished it. Um, I always heard something like this. Almost doesn't count except with horseshoes and hand grenades. That's right. Of course, that was before cornhole, right? Um, Today, you don't actually have to get the beanbag in the hole. As long as you get it on the board, you still get points. long as you get the horseshoe close to the pin, you don't have to get a ringer. You still get points. And, of course, with a hand grenade, you don't have to actually hit your target. Just get close, and the gunpowder takes care of the rest. Well, almost. I can't tell you this morning how many dollars I almost made, how many turkeys I almost got, How many deer I almost shot. Almost doesn't count except in horseshoes, hand grenades, and cornhole. Today we meet a man who was almost saved. We're going to learn more about him this morning. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 25. Um, Let me see if I can get some pictures up here for us today. Uh, Last week we met a guy named... Festus, everybody say Festus. Festus was the new governor of Judea. He was determined when he got into office to solve this issue with the Apostle Paul that had been left to him by Felix. Almost immediately after he took over the leadership in that area, Festus held court in Caesarea, which resulted in Paul appealing the case to Caesar. Before Paul could be shipped to the empire's capital in Rome for his uh, trial, some neighboring rulers, King Agrippa, came along with his sister, Miss Bernice, with the beautiful hair. They came to visit Festus. We met each of them last week, and Festus told Agrippa about Paul... And he asked his advice because Agrippa was a Roman ruler, and yet he had Jewish blood. And so he would have a unique perspective to be able to help him out, hopefully. After having certainly heard about Paul throughout his reign, King Agrippa now wanted to actually hear from him personally. And so Festus arranges that. If you are able this morning, please stand as we read about this from Acts 25. I'm going to begin reading today in verse number 23. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa... And all who are present with us, see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Keep your Bibles open this morning. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your presence. We do look up as we worship and glorify you today, and we invite your Holy Spirit to be in us. Help me to share this word with power and might, with authority, God, with truth, and Lord, help us to hear it in that way as well. We thank you, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, man, you may be seated this morning. These verses describe a royal parade as the visiting King Agrippa and his sister enter the audience room, along with all the top brass from the city of Caesarea, as we said before, right there on the bank of the Mediterranean Sea. And that day, it looks something like this. And this, of course, is the uh, palace area where uh, Festus would have been ruling from, where he lived, and where, in fact paul 's trial was held as we're reading about here this morning out in this far eastern area they had uh, a far western area they had this audience room which is no doubt exactly where that particular trial took place and that of course is what we said it looks like today nevertheless Paul was there many years ago for his trial and um, uh, they all come in in this parade, and one after another, and I'm sure, as we said, Miss Bernice's hair was just so. And so uh, they come in, and they, they all are wearing their royal purple robes. They're all wearing their beautiful golden crowns, and everybody ooze and ahs as all of these uh, impressive people enter in. Now, it's possible that Luke, the man that wrote the book of Acts, is also there. We don't know that for sure, but it's very possible he could have been in the audience that day because uh, sometimes those trials were open to people from the community. This took place sometime between the year AD 59 and AD62 because that's the only time when Festus actually ruled. So it was a fairly tight period of time. Today, we only know a few of their names, like we mentioned a minute ago, Bernice and Festus and Agrippa. Um, They, at that time, were very important and very powerful, and everybody knew who they were. Today, uh, not so much. It's actually the prisoner that enters the room next that we know most about. Everybody say, Paul. Paul. All the parade had come through and now comes lowly Paul. With chains on his hands and probably chains on his feet as well. No fancy suit and tie. No wonderful tunic special for the occasion. Probably not even clean shaven. He's not very impressive. Really quite a disgrace to all of these folks... But what a difference 2,000 years can make, amen? Today, we know virtually nothing about these other people. We know a lot about the apostle Paul. But Festus can't figure him out. He's a mystery to, King, uh, to Governor Festus. Even though he's going to send him to the emperor, he still doesn't know what to write down on the rap sheet. He didn't lack accusations. The Jews gave him plenty of those. What he lacked was evidence. He didn't have any evidence. And certainly if he sent this prisoner up there without some kind of credible charges, Festus would look silly. And no Roman ever wanted to look silly. And so with Agrippa's help, maybe he can come up with something to write on that sheet that he will send along to the emperor. I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, we have in the book of Acts three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. We've been on him with each of those as we made our way through this book. This is not a fourth missionary journey. Actually, instead of Paul going out, God brings people to him. Have you noticed that? In different occasions during after his imprisonment, God keeps bringing people to him. And I would remind you that back in Acts chapter 9, when Paul saw the light on the Damascus road and got saved, Jesus told him, you will witness for me before kings and Gentiles. Here he is doing exactly that on this day. Paul was not intimidated by all of this fancy clothes and all of these uh, elite people in the crowd. He spoke very confidently. He perhaps remembered Jesus' words who said, When you are called onto account because of me, don't worry beforehand about what to say. I'll give you what to say at that time. And Jesus did exactly that for the apostle Paul. Look back again at your scripture at Acts 26 now, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way that I lived ever since I was a child from beginning my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night, O king. It is because of this hope. Uh, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that it is. That is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And so that's the beginning of Paul's fifth trial, his defense in his fifth trial. It's actually his longest speech in all the book of Acts. And since Agrippa is a Jew, Paul doesn't start with the Roman charges. He actually starts with his own Jewish background to perhaps create some kind of a, a, a relationship with King Agrippa. It seems that Paul really could care less about his charges He's more concerned with the salvation of the people that are in the room that day. Isn't that phenomenal? That's what he is most concerned about. May we learn from him. Well, um, he aims for their, for their hearts and not their heads. He affirms his belief in the same things that most all Jews of the time believed in. The law and the prophets. The coming Messiah And even that the Messiah would deliver his people from death one day. This was the hope that he mentions in verses 6 and 7. And he again refers to the resurrection. Every one of his defenses, he always hits on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul then begins to tell about his past life as a Pharisee. He says, we Pharisees are the strictest branch of Judaism. Everybody say strict. King James Version says the most straightest sect, emphasizing how doggedly exact and precise the Pharisees tried to be. The Greek word carries with it the idea of the most accurate group. If there was one thing the Pharisees were, it was deadly literal. They sought purity. They sought exactness. And Paul was one of their leaders He goes on then to tell about his past life as a Pharisee. He says, I tried to erase all of Jesus' influence by getting rid of all of his followers. He readily admits that he imprisoned many of them. And when the decision was made by the Sanhedrin to put him to death, whenever that happened, he said, I was right there saying, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He tried to force others to blaspheme he probably did that by torturing them deny the name of jesus deny the name of jesus as they added suffering upon suffering he probably did it by intimidation but according to one roman official named Pliny the younger when he wrote a letter to emperor trajan he said that real christians cannot be made to deny their jesus amen Oh, the faithfulness of those early brothers and sisters of ours. May we be like them. Notice, too, Paul's self-incrimination. He he doesn't try to point the finger and say, Oh, I was misled and my leaders, it was their fault. No, he says, I shut them up in prison. I cast my vote against them. I persecuted them. You can almost hear some tears in his voice as he's thinking about what he did back during that time he doesn't try to shift responsibility he says it was me i did all that and then he retells his conversion experience out on the damascus interstate that day this is actually the third account of paul's conversion in the book of acts and every time we read it we learn something a little different the stories don't contradict each other. They actually supplement each other as we learn additional information, new details. In this particular version, in this chapter, we learn that God spoke to uh, Paul in either Hebrew or Aramaic. That was Paul's native language. And that's how Paul heard him. My brothers and sisters, I say that this morning to help us remember, God speaks our language too. Amen? Whether it's English, whether it's Spanish, whether it's Southern, or country, or Yankee, or whatever it may be, God speaks our language. He hears us when we pray in our language. He speaks in our own language back to us. Aren't you glad? Well, as Paul finishes his testimony about his conversion experience... He highlights how God commissioned him to open the eyes of the Gentiles and turn us, Gentiles, from darkness to light. From Satan to God. And this effort, Paul says, is what now has landed him in prison. The effort to take this good news out so that everyone else may know. And he concludes by sharing the gospel. Look at verse 23. That the Christ would suffer, and as that Christ would suffer, and as at the first arise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. "You are out of your mind, Paul," he shouted. "Your great learning is driving you insane." Everybody say, "Uh oh." Trials going along very smoothly, and suddenly the level headed, fair minded, newly installed governor cuts Paul off and calls him crazy. Not the first time he's been called crazy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, um, If we're out of our minds, it's for the sake of Christ. If we're in our right minds, it's for your sake. You ever been called crazy? For the, I know we've all been called crazy, okay? But for the sake of Jesus. If you have, you're in very good company because not only was Paul called that, so was Jesus. In John chapter 10, the Jews called Jesus raving mad. In Mark chapter 3, his own family said he's out of his mind. Paul refused to let such personal insults deter or distract him. Um, he, he just... He wasn't blown away by that. His insistence on Jesus' resurrection combined with his conviction that this was not only for the Jews but that it was for all people was more than Festus could stomach. Maybe Festus was trying to shield his guest Agrippa and Bernice and the others from Paul's boldness. I don't know. But at any rate, Festus interrupts him. Perhaps I would suggest to you today it was because Paul was starting to make sense to Festus. He was starting to get close. The Holy Spirit was beginning to work. And so Festus and his guests were beginning to squirm as the gospel was being proclaimed and as their souls were being convicted. The apologetic study Bible points out that Festus was a judge, not a theologian. And he was not willing to follow Paul to his logical conclusion that Gentiles should be saved as well. At any rate, the emotion behind Festus's outburst might reveal for us that old Festus was understanding more than he wanted to. To paraphrase Shakespeare, Methinks you protest too much. Well, instead of being intimidated into silence by being called crazy, Paul responds in verse 25. Look, I love this. He says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophet's? I know you do. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This lowly prisoner in chains has just taken charge of the courtroom. Did you notice that? Not only did he talk back to Festus, (laughs) now he puts King Agrippa on the spot. As we mentioned last week, King Agrippa was fully acquainted with the Jewish ways, with everything that was going on in Judea. Um, He was probably fully informed about Jesus' death and his resurrection, as well as the Christian movement that grew after that. King Agrippa would have known all of that. The early Christians, Paul says, didn't do it in a corner. They weren't ashamed. They weren't trying to cower and, and get away from persecution. They openly confessed Jesus. Under the threat of death. Under the the threat of great torture. Paul knew that Agrippa, as a Jew, believed the prophets. And he knew that if he studied the prophets, he understood that the prophets pointed to a Messiah. And eventually a resurrection. Well, Agrippa, Paul says, "What, what do you think? Whoa. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains as he holds them up for everyone to see. Warren Weersby observes that uh, when Paul asked Agrippa if he believed the prophets, he was forcing him to take a stand one way or the other. Certainly, Agrippa could not deny what every Jew believed the Scriptures. But Agrippa knew that if he affirmed the prophets, then he had to face the question, is Jesus of Nazareth that promised Messiah or not? Well, as any good politician would do agrippa avoids the question (laughs) he never says yes he never says no if he says yes it looks like he's agreeing with paul if he says no then it appears that he's disbelieving the scriptures which would put him out of sorts with all the jews and so he sidesteps it all together and he says that he's not going to be drawn into all of this too quickly he's a hard sell You're not going to get me that easy, he says. He's not going to change his mind easily, no matter how convincing and obvious the proof may be. But his refusal to answer Paul's question, I think, indicates the Holy Spirit was working in him too. Paul was getting through in that courtroom that day. It was being turned into a sanctuary as Paul began to preach. Well, probably because all of these guys were getting too uncomfortable. And before Paul can put somebody else on the spot, they adjourn the court abruptly. Look at verse 30. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so there's another trial and there's another acquittal for the Apostle Paul. John Stott says that Paul's three defenses were all successful. Neither Felix nor Festus nor Agrippa found Paul guilty. And now that it was no way that it was ever going to happen, Agrippa can safely say, oh well, We've got to turn him loose if only he hadn't appealed to see. See, it's his fault. It's his fault. And so they still look very noble and very righteous by, uh, by keeping him there. My friends, that wasn't going to happen under any circumstances. Um, but Agrippa was trying to look good. So Agrippa and Bernice go back to their kingdom and their palace up at Caesarea Philippi. Mr. Festus goes back to his chambers there in Caesarea Maritima. And Paul goes back to his jail cell to await extradition to Rome. I want to draw this chapter to a close and make a couple of observations before we do that. Lessons that we can learn from this narrative. First of all, I want you to recognize Paul's excellent example of giving a testimony. Everybody say testimony. Testimony. Your testimony is your story. It's your Jesus story. About what Jesus has done in your life. Notice what Paul did. Same thing we should do. Describe what life was like before you met Jesus. Describe how you met Jesus. Describe what life is like now with Jesus. That's not hard. It's it's your story. If you've met Jesus, if you haven't met Jesus, you don't have a testimony to share yet. And so we need to do that before we finish today. But that's a very, very easy outline for a testimony. The scriptures say in Revelation, we overcome the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Telling our story. What has Jesus done for us? To turn people from darkness to light. That's still our job, by the way. That didn't die when Paul died. Tell your spiritual story. Secondly, I want you to understand this morning that after Paul's conversion, after he tells about that, up in verse 19 he says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I was not disobedient, which means that he was obedient right but he put a double negative in there to kind of emphasize the point i I didn't see the light and then walk away and still live my own life my friends once we see the light we need to start walking in the light amen not just receive it not just enjoy it but become obedient to the light which is jesus Once we're saved, we need to start obeying the Lord God. Paul didn't keep persecuting Christians after he saw the light. We need to begin obeying Jesus, even as Paul did. Thirdly, I want you to notice how sincere Paul was as a Pharisee. Everybody say sincere. He was deadly sincere. I mean, deadly enough to kill other people. He he was... He was convinced as he could possibly be. But he was sincerely wrong. There are some people today that sincerely believe nobody's ever walked on the moon. There are some people today that sincerely believe there's Bigfoot running around out here. Right, Dale Bennett? We could be sincere about many things. Many people sincerely believe that good people go to heaven. Many people sincerely believe that Buddha will get them there, even though he's in a tomb. That Muhammad will get you there, even though he's in a tomb. That Confucius can get you there, even though he's in a tomb. And so on and so forth. There's very sincere, very sincere My friends, sincerity does not save us. Jesus does. Jesus and Jesus alone rose from the dead. And so in compassion and grace and mercy, we reach out even as Paul did to share that light, to help others understand what God has made clear to us through someone else's grace. That they too might know the truth and sincerely be saved. Thankfully Paul realized that he was sincerely wrong. He was. He turned to the right. Be sure you sincerely believe the truth. Check it out like we said last week. Check check me. Every message I preach, please search it out. Do your homework. Don't take my word for it. You you look at it. But then make a choice and make a decision. What you believe to be the truth. Finally, today I want to revisit Agrippa's response in verse number twenty-eight. The King James version translate uh, verse twenty-eight. They, they say is a little bit tricky to translate, but in the King James version, it says, "Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian." Agrippa said. Everybody say almost. Almost saved. He was, he, was, uh, he was almost forgiven. Almost in. But he wasn't throwing horseshoes or beanbags or hand grenades. He was almost saved, but he was still lost. Friends, almost may count in other areas, but it does not count in regard to our eternal salvation. Agrippa that day was so close, and yet so far. Paul pleaded, not only with him, everybody in the courtroom that day, he pleaded with them. Short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are hearing me today may become what I am. What's he he Become saved. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. Become obedient to the light. Paul wanted them all to be saved. He still does. And so does God. My friends, the Confederates almost won at Gettysburg. Apollo 13 almost made it to the surface of the moon. The Titanic almost missed the iceberg. If you're like Agrippa... And you're sitting on the fence and you see the truth, but you're still resisting it because of maybe pride, maybe what somebody else is going to say, um, maybe it contradicts things that you've been taught in your past or whatever else. My friends, if you see the truth, don't resist it any longer. To be almost saved is to be eternally lost. Agrippa is still regretting the decision he almost made that day as he still suffers on this day. Don't join him. Please receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Do it as we pray this morning. Father God, I thank you for the record of this faithful, faithful disciple of yours named Paul. Even in chains, outnumbered, overwhelmed and everything else, but standing up for Jesus, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. He wasn't there to make friends. He was there to make disciples. He was there to make believers. God, I I, I thank you for his courage I thank you, Lord, for his willingness to stand up. And I pray that we might also have that courage, that we might have that willingness to stand fast today. Father, show us those areas in our lives about which we are sincerely wrong. Reveal the truth. And Father, as we see the light, may we be obedient to the light. May we begin following and serving and obeying. Father, help us to be faithful, to tell our testimony, to tell somebody else what you have done in our lives. And Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here watching on live stream at home that is almost a believer, that they would cross over that line today and, and be all in. We say, yes, Jesus did die for my sin. He did rise again on the third day. He's coming back to take me with him to heaven. Confess your sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you of it in Jesus' name. And ask him to save your soul. That you might not be almost, but that you might be totally saved. God, we praise you today. We thank you for your work in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes and in our church. Continue to work among us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said...